Welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Tom Buckingham, Portfolio Manager of the JP Morgan European Income Investment Trust. Tom is a Portfolio Manager in the JP Morgan Asset Management International Equity Group Behavioural Finance Team based in London. An employee since 2007, Tom sits within the Style Portfolio sub-team, contributing to all investment strategies run on the sub-team, but with a particular focus on income and value mandates. He graduated at the University of Surrey and holds a Bachelor of Engineering degree in Aerospace Engineering. Tom is a holder of the Investment Management Certificate and is a CFA charter holder. So the JP Morgan European Income Investment Trust, could we first of all just kick off at the top and uh, perhaps you could tell us what the strategy is for the trust and what the objectives are? Yes, of course. So the JP Morgan European Investment Trust Income Leg invests in the continental European market with an aim of providing attractive total shareholder returns to investors, but importantly, also providing an attractive level of income as well. So we look to achieve these aims by investing in a very diversified portfolio of companies spanning all geographies and sectors across the market and focusing particularly on businesses where dividend yields are higher than that of the broad market. But there are two other important considerations that we think about as well. Number one, we need to believe that dividend yields are sustainable. Our investors don't want to buy a stock on the premise of a 6% dividend yield, for example, only to find that the company can't afford to pay it at some point down the line. So there we're thinking about um, looking for strong cash flow profiles, strong economics, uh, manageable balance sheets, and sensible management teams who allocate capital in a prudent way. Uh, but we also want to invest in companies where capital, pro uh, capital growth prospects are attractive as well. Uh, again, nobody wants exposure to a company paying a nice attractive dividend yield if we think the share price is going to fall materially due to poor operational performance in the underlying business. So here we're thinking about the operational momentum that we're seeing. Is the company delivering and outperforming expectations? Uh, is there an att attractive return profile in the underlying business? What's the ROE, for example? Uh, and how successfully is the company deploying capital? Uh, and then more and more, we're thinking about ESG as well. This continues to grow in importance both uh, to our investors and, and to ourselves. Okay, so in terms of the trust, what, what are the geographical and, and sector allocations? So we always think about constructing the portfolio using a bottom-up methodology. And as mentioned, we look to run a very diversified portfolio of stocks to ensure that stock-specific risks are, are kept to a minimum. Uh, this really gives us the full flexibility that we want to go anywhere in the market in that search for yield. So if we think about this point in time, uh, we're finding the majority of our highest conviction high yielding stocks uh, with that positive capital growth prospect alongside in some of the more cyclically and financially focused areas of the market. Uh, if we look at the portfolio as it stands currently, uh, for example, the biggest sector overweight allocations are to banks. Uh, insurance companies and the materials sector as well. Uh, and we've also been increasing some of the positions that we have in certain areas of the capital goods space. Um, so generally it's thinking about um, that global economic and earnings recovery that we're seeing gathering pace. And that's, that's really being evidenced through data points such as the PMIs, um, bond yields obviously rising, particularly in the US on the 10 year, 
inflation expectations increasing, and indeed the Q1 earnings season at the micro level, where we've just seen the best earnings season since 2007. Um, it's really financials and cyclicals that are standing to benefit the most from this recovery. Uh, and so if you think about how we're funding that and where we're offsetting it, um, we're underway in sectors like pharmaceuticals and staples, where, to be honest, yields are just looking much less attractive relatively after the outperformance that they had at the height of the COVID crisis last year, and where we see far fewer catalysts to actually drive some of the, um, some of the underlying stock outperformance that we want as we move forward in some of those mega cap names in those big defensive sectors. From a country point of view, um, nothing really stands out. We're slightly overweight some of the Scandi countries, slightly underweight some of the cool European countries like France and Germany. But again, that's very much a consequence of bottom-up stock selection rather than actually having an explicit view on the investment case for, for those countries themselves. Understood. Um, so just to put some colour on uh, the, the kind of stocks that we are talking about, perhaps you could uh, just talk us, through, talk us through one or two of your top holdings, perhaps. Yeah, of course. Um, so if we think about some of the names that we really like at the moment, as I said, they tend to be characterised by those high level comments around the macro recovery that I just made. Um, but also we like to find stocks where there's a strong underlying stock specific angle. Again, you know, bearing in mind that we are very much bottom up investors. Uh, and in an ideal world, as mentioned, it's, it's nice if we can get a positive ESG story as well. So um, to give you a couple of examples, firstly, Volvo. Um, Volvo's been a really interesting stock for us. What we've seen since the middle of last year, really, um, but even more so in the most recent months, is that the recovery across the business, <clears throat> excuse me, has been has been far in excess of some of the expectations that were there for the company as the economic uh, reopening has has begun to accelerate. You've seen margins come in significantly ahead of expectations, both in the trucks division and the construction. Uh, equipment division. And when you combine that with them, some of the strong orders beat that you've seen as demand starts to come back on, the impact is that industrial free cash flow generation looks incredibly strong. Uh, and as a reminder, we're looking for those companies who can pay an attractive yield versus the market. And that improvement in the free cash flow profile um, really does give us confidence that future dividend yields of 5 to 6% are, are pretty well underpinned. But alongside this, we also want to see those prospects for capital growth. Uh, and if we then have a look at the book to bill ratio and the consequent improving outlook and guidance that the company has been giving across pretty much all regions, uh, and also with the company Volvo leading the industry forward in terms of the transition to electric vehicles, we see the potential for ongoing margin growth, um, better volumes, positive product mix. Um, and those should all be a pretty strong tailwind for the company. And hence, it's, it's one of the larger actives that we have in the portfolio. Um, Another stock that I think I'd probably mention would be BBVA, the Spanish bank. Now, I mean, many of the reasons that we like this stock are relevant for a lot of the other holdings that we have in the bank space. But there, again, are also some pretty strong stock specific region, uh, reasons why we like the name. Um, so, again, as I said, along with many other banks, BBVA suspended dividend payments through the COVID crisis. Um, if we think about the stock on a standalone basis, though, we don't think they necessarily needed to do that. Now, the reason I say that is the sector went into the crisis very, very well capitalized. Loan books didn't look excessively risky. Uh, and hence, we think regulators made the right decision in suspending dividend payments. It was a prudent move. It was a sensible move, given how much uncertainty there was out there. But we've also 
always had this level of confidence that dividends would return for the higher quality, better capitalized names in the space. And what we've also seen from BBVA specifically is that they've recently taken the sensible decision to dispose of their low returns US business. That means um, that the attractive valuation they, they achieved for that business and the cash generation that they've received from that, um, from that disposal is also likely to come back to shareholders through uh, additional special dividends and potentially buybacks as well. So uh, a, lot of, a lot of opportunity there for a stock that's trading on an attractive dividend yield and also a really cheap valuation on about 0.7 times tangible book. So you've given us an idea of a couple of your top holdings there, Tom. Um, how's the trust coping in what has obviously been a very difficult environment? And indeed, did 2020 give you give you the opportunity to add new names, perhaps, to the portfolio? Yeah, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. 2020 was, without question, an incredibly challenging year for most investors uh, due to the increased level of, of volatility that we saw in the market and the uncertainty, of course, that goes hand in hand with uh, with a global pandemic. I mean, from a market's perspective, some of the moves that we witnessed were absolutely unprecedented. The market, for example, sold off from peak to trough in the space of 20 days. Now that compares to anywhere from 130 to 787 days for each of the previous four bear markets. So it just gives you an idea of how incredibly fast things moved. And, and for that reason, it was very difficult to react uh, in a timely manner. And now, of course, <clears throat> running an income strategy, you have certain correlations with the value style. And we saw the bear market being significantly more aggressive in value stocks than it was growth stocks. And the consequence was that value spreads actually widened out to levels more extreme than we've seen at any point in the last 30 years. And that includes, of course, both the TMT bubble and the global financial crisis. So again, absolutely unprecedented moves that we saw. And this caused real issues for us as income investors uh, as the valuation spread of dividend yield, or put simply, the gap in valuation terms between the highest yielding and the lowest yielding stocks in the market widened out to the second widest percentile that we've ever seen. So people just didn't want to own stocks with attractive dividend yields. Uh, now, ultimately, with many of the high yield stocks and sectors being slightly more cyclically focused at the beginning of 2020, those high dividend yielding stocks just simply didn't offer the usual protection that you associate with high quality, high yielding stocks when, when crises come about. Uh, and so we saw dividend yields in Europe fall by around 25% year on year. And, you know, I hesitate to use the word again, but again, this was unprecedented stuff. Um, earnings were down about 30%. And normally in a crisis, you see that dividends are cut by half as much as earnings, maybe in a worst case scenario, but usually even less than that. So this was quite extraordinary in terms of the pain for income focused investors. Now, our priority as the crisis unfolded was to ensure that we weren't holding anything in the portfolio that we felt was at risk of failing as a consequence of the COVID pandemic, or indeed uh, the oil crisis that, that unfolded simultaneously. And, and we often forget about that uh, because obviously COVID was happening at the time. Now, this included for us removing a number of EMP names from the fund, as well as some travel and, and retail focused businesses as well. The next step for us was to identify companies where dividend cuts had happened but were in our mind only transitory. Uh, and we needed to avoid the temptation of selling these names and instead taking a view that 
a return to paying attractive dividends would be well rewarded by the market at some point in the near future. And so holding on to names like Volvo, which we've already talked about, um, Signify, which is a Dutch lighting business, and a number of the banks was a really difficult call at the time because these companies had cut dividends and hence as an income investor, your, your default reaction is that perhaps you should be selling these names. But, but carrying out that fundamental analysis to understand whether dividends could come back and at similar levels meant that uh, we were able to take the decision to hold on to a lot of these names. And with the benefit of hindsight, that was a really justifiable decision as these higher quality businesses have since confirmed our expectations that dividend cuts were conservative moves and, and they've now been reversed. And then finally, the, the aggressive step down that we saw in share prices in many of the more cyclical value income focused areas of the market really presented us with an opportunity to add names or increase positions in stocks which we felt were fundamentally sound, um, but were now undervalued. And this has really paid dividends, uh, if you pardon the pun, um, since the vaccine news of early November, which has been the real catalyst for that reopening and global economic growth trade, which has obviously seen the market um, perform incredibly strongly over the last six months, led by those very same stocks, those value income focused cyclical stocks, which we have uh, material exposure to in the strategy. So with that in mind, and, and um, in terms of the final question, Tom, obviously, uh, we, we are now seeing this reopening trade, as you say, we are seeing a return to the payment of dividends, although uh, in terms of UK banks, for example, on still on a, a fairly capped basis by the regulator. What, what's your kind of outlook as we go through 2021? And, and how would you say your your position for what may happen? Yeah, it's an interesting question, and it's one that we're, we're asked a lot at the moment. And I don't think it will be controversial to say that with the market having risen by about 60% since the trough in mid-March last year, the pace of market returns is likely to slow from here. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not still an opportunity for investors. So my starting point is always to think in three stages. Firstly, what's the backdrop for the region top down? Secondly, what's the valuation that I'm being asked to pay? And thirdly, what is the picture like for individual companies within the region from a bottom-up perspective, given, as I mentioned, we're very much bottom-up investors. So if we think about those three things one at a time, firstly, the backdrop for the region looks as strong as I think it ever can do, quite frankly. Now, we've spoken already about the reopening trade, and, and, and whilst it is important never to be too overconfident, everything that we're seeing top-down, and again, you can point to PMIs, inflation expectations, yield curve steepening, the list goes on, is, is really quite supportive for the Europex UK market. Now, Europe is truly a globally facing region. So around half of the revenues for European companies are derived outside of Europe itself. And so in that sense, it's one of the best markets available to play a recovery which is truly global in nature. Now, in addition to that global nature, Europe is also more of a cyclically and financially focused market. And that means that in a recovery environment where we'd expect to see cyclical and financial stocks outperforming, Europe should be in a prime position to benefit the most. And finally, if we think about some of the most material headwinds that have faced Europe in recent times, uh, you know, Brexit, for example, other political risks would spring, would spring to mind as well. With a Brexit deal now having been agreed at the very end of last year, and with a new Italian government now being formed under Mario Draghi, there's a pretty strong argument as well that some of those strongest headwinds have, at least for now, dissipated. So that backdrop really looks pretty strong to us. And that then leads us to the valuations question. What do we think about valuations at this point? Now, this is an interesting one because 
when you look at headline valuation multiples, they may look on the expensive side. But what's very dangerous is to value the market on what are still, to my mind, very depressed levels of earnings. So if we look through those headline valuation multiples and instead focus on through the cycle earnings, the market valuation, whilst it's fair to say no longer looks outright cheap, doesn't look any worse than fair value. And so if you're in an environment where you can make an argument that we're in the very early stages of a strong and sustainable earnings recovery, then actually valuations don't look excessive from here. And we believe that's exactly where we are. If we look at our internal analysts' uh, expectations around earnings growth, they think earnings grow 35% this year and 18% next year. Uh, and the early signs, in fact, from the Q1 earnings season, which I mentioned very briefly earlier, are that, in fact, current earnings forecasts may, in fact, be on the conservative side. We're seeing upgrades to those expectations. And the final point I make on valuations is that from a dividend yield perspective, which of course is, is incredibly important to us as income investors, the European market still offers one of the best yields available both across the equities world, but also versus other asset classes. Uh, so the yield's about 3% currently. And we, of course, in the, in the trust have been able to deliver a very material yield premium versus the market through time. Um, and it's also clear to see that on value spreads as well. The cheaper, high yielding areas of the market look excessively cheap versus the more highly valued, lower yielding areas of the market. And that creates a real opportunity for active managers looking to play in that high yielding space. So the final piece of, of, of my jigsaw, if you like, what does the bottom up picture look like? Well, again, reassuringly, we're seeing that the positive top down data is really coming through and being reflected at the corporate level as well. So going back to Q1 earnings season again, we're in the middle of it so far. Um, it, it's been uh, up to now the best quarterly earnings season for beats versus expectations since the global financial crisis in 2007. And those beats are generally being driven by high yielding sectors such as financials and energy companies. And these are the areas where the portfolio has material exposure. And equally, we're hearing pretty positive noises around the potential for dividends coming back as well across the financial space. You touched on regulation not having been fully lifted yet. Um, Whilst we don't have any certainty that it's going to be listed, uh, lifted later this year, that's the current base case. And what we're hearing from individual companies is that when those restrictions are lifted, there's a wall of cash waiting to be paid back to investors via ordinary dividends, special dividends and share buybacks. So we remain very focused on bottom up stock selection. But importantly, the opportunities that we're identifying bottom up align really, really well with what we're seeing top down. And that just gives us that higher level of conviction. And while we feel that valuations are clearly not as attractive as they were earlier last year, we still feel that there's really a strong opportunity there in the, the cheaper, higher yielding areas of the market and in some of those sectors that I've mentioned, the financials, industrials and energy stocks, for example. Well, unfortunately, that's uh, all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time, Tom, and, and certainly for those valuable insights. That's Tom Buckingham, Portfolio Manager of the JP Morgan European Income Investment Trust. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insight and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.